bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 133 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja. I was very nervous to record this episode because it's not on brand and I wasn't sure how you as an audience would respond, but it's, as I've mentioned and given you some forewarning, I've literally taken two years to to do this from this, from when I rebranded as Corinne Ninja Podcast, which is literally episode 50. I have said that I wanted this podcast to be able to be a place where I could interview with people that I admire and are inspired by and their work and work that is, interview people who are doing work that I think is beneficial to the animals or the planet or humanity or women's voices or women's empowerment or, you know, so many different areas where people are being othered or people are being dismissed or treated unfairly or discrimination is occurring. Uh, but, you know, it could be in, in people who are inventing incredible things or people who are just anyone who's doing wonderful work in the world. I wanted this podcast to also include that because I think for me in my own health and healing journey, learning about people and hearing people's stories about the great work that they're doing in the world has also been something that has lit a fire under me and strengthened my resolve and my why and kept taking me out of my own self-pity and myself spiraling into victim mindset to think, how can I serve? How can I better serve? If I am sick, I can't serve as well as if I am healthy. So I need to make these choices to strengthen my health, to strengthen my body, to strengthen my mind so that I too can do great work to help my community, to help my sisters, to help my children, to to do whatever I can to create and inspire healing in the world through any means that is available to me and that may be a small post, that may be a cuddle with my child, maybe whatever. But if I am sick in bed because I'm just completely, obviously, because I might, I might be just typically just, just unwell and unwell mentally or physically or emotionally or whatever it is. I'm not saying you can't be in that place. You definitely can be in that place. But... I found in my own healing journey that strengthening my why of why I wanted to get healthy through inspirational human stories really helped me want to heal and focus on doing whatever I could to encourage that healing in my body. So this week's guest is Fleecy Malay. She is two times TEDx speaker. I'm reading off her bio right now. She is a viral poet. Her poem, Witches, is just gives me goosebumps every single time. And I think that even though it's about witches, 
It's so rich. So if you're like a cis male who's listening and is like, you know, I'm not a witch. It's not for me. I could, it, 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 it is, you know, these poems are for us all when we, when we, when we squash ourselves and make ourselves small. It's just an incredible piece of art. I love it so much. So you can definitely watch her spoken word witches if you click on the show notes. Felicity is an yeah, internationally renowned, evocative and powerful spoken word artist, speaker and coach. She's a global advocate for women's rights and a fierce voice for the power of authenticity and connection as a social change tool. She's founder of Melbourne's acclaimed women's spoken word event, Mother Tongue, a passionate, powerful, vulnerable and honest performer whose words and courses leave a profound impression. A self-identified queer, erotic, spiritual mother, she has a theatrical and yet deeply authentic performance and speaking style, renowned for captivating her audiences with depth, honesty and humour. In 2017, she published her book Sex and God, performed internationally and became the first woman to represent Australia at the National Poetry Slam USA. In 2018, her poem Witches went viral on International Women's Day with over 1 million views in three days, with over 3 million views at the time of this bio being written. And very, very, very recently, she launched a Kickstarter campaign for her newest book called Virago, and it is in the show notes for pre-order. So it is an incredible book, work of art, and it's her current baby that she's launching. So please go and give it some support. She is an incredible woman who has taught me so much on my own journey, learning how to speak with more inclusively. And I'm still on that journey. I'm not at the end. I'm very much learning to take off all of the conditioning that I've had placed on my shoulders from birth to learn how to be more inclusive when I'm talking to people who aren't cisgendered, who are queer, who are LGBTQ+, which if you don't know, which I see, I barely knew and I'm still struggling with, but it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer or, or or questioning. And people often use LGBTQ plus to mean all of the communities included in the LGBTQIAA, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, transsexual, two-spirit, queer, questioning, intersex, asexual, ally, pansexual, people who we share this planet with. And I'm learning about this. And we don't actually speak much about this in this interview, but she's incredible at helping cis people like myself learn about this by her work with Mother Tongue and her work in general, her poetry. She is, as I, as I mentioned in the bio, she is a self-identified queer woman. She's just incredible. But in this episode, it, it went very tangential. We are speaking about topics from the coronavirus and our thoughts about the current fear in the world. We're speaking about mostly, mostly in this episode, I love the way, I love the way that Felicity talks about boundaries. And for most of us, we've never been taught how to establish boundaries and, and enforce them in a respectful, loving way. And so we talk about boundaries a lot in this episode. We go all over the place, but boundaries is where we kind of keep coming back to. Um, we also talk about the normalisation of LB, 
LGBTQ people in the media and in television and and how important that is and why that's so important and that, that they are represented and I feel like it's a, something that I wanted to educate myself on as much as possible. I want to for my children and for myself, for my own personal growth and for my own belief in compassion and kindness and inclusivity and respect and being a loving human on this planet as much as possible. And, you know, when you realise that you're doing something that's excluding whole groups of people or making them feel excluded, and I'm still, as I said, I'm still learning I really want to be informed and Fleecy creates a space to not only to give voice to these demographics of humans but also to educate privileged white folk like myself who are straight and in a in a relationship that is deemed acceptable. Now I know that this is growing and improving everywhere but I, yeah, I really think that there's so much more work we need to do and I, I, I'm really trying to learn um, and to go out of my comfort zone to learn because it feels like learning a new language which makes you feel uncomfortable and it has made me feel really uncomfortable as I've been on this journey and it still does because I still hesitate and I still think, oh, I'm going to sound stupid if I say this or if I, if I ask them what their personal pronoun is, the preferred personal pronoun is. But um, my son, Iggy, you know, he just he just... It's so effortless for him, you know, to 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 use that language and to def- he defaults to compassion and kindness and in- inclusivity, and when I see how easy it is for him to say, "Oh, this is just they," this is you know, like it, their pronoun is this, or they they want to be referred to as a they, or they. Um, were born a boy, but now they have this name and they're a girl. And he's just so fine with it. Whereas for me, it's been like, oh, like, how does this, oh, you know, this is like a shakiness in my chest. Like I don't, I can't process it. My brain can't, it's like malfunctioning at it. Like I've pressed all the keys on a computer and it's just freaking out. Fleecy's really helped me with that. And there's lots of other people who've helped me with that on that journey as well. I'm not saying that I'm perfect because I'm not, but I, I did want her voice on the show because when we're talking about chronic disease, we're talking about healing and and that growth just continues, that healing journey just continues. And for me, this, I'm still healing chronic, chronic illness, of course, but I also want to heal and grow in this area too so that I can be, I'm a very passionate voice for the animals and that is something that I always will be. There's voiceless humans that I perhaps have, haven't included in my language that I should and I am definitely intersectional in my, in my values. I really want to grow in all areas so that I can be kind and extend kindness and I think when we extend kindness everywhere, it ripples out everywhere. So that's what I'm trying to learn in here. So that's a bit, a bit of a ramble. This episode is so long and Ranjit's going to hate me but Her book is called Virago. The link is in the show notes for you to purchase her book of poetry. Please look at all the links because I've put links to her YouTube videos and her YouTube video, well, not all of them, but some of them 
YouTube videos are super powerful. She does. She's such an incredible poet. Now, I know this might seem like a topic, an area, a conversation that may not interest you. If you don't like poetry and you don't uh, perhaps don't like women's rights and learning about the LGBTQ community. But it's. I th- I hope that it's an enriching conversation. We. I think it's a really important conversation, and it's two women learning and. Yeah. Please, if you're in Melbourne, head along to Mother Tongue. It's on once a month on the second Friday of the month. The link is in the show notes if you want to witness some incredible women poets. As I said, it's a very inclusive um, event for anyone who identifies as a woman. And it's just a wonderful event. And we're going to hear more, hear more about Mother Tongue in this episode and where it came from and what it stemmed from and more about speaking and speaking with learning our our values and our power and how to really understand and navigate boundaries and boundary setting and all of those things if you struggle with that. Uh, I think it can really help and that extends into our way we navigate. We talk about doctors and navigating appointments with doctors and medical professionals. It's a really interesting conversation, I think, about about having our voices taken away and and what that does and taking that voice back for ourselves. I hope you really enjoyed this episode and um, get a lot out of it. And I really hope you stay until the end because Fleecy's top tips for you know, building your courageous voice are really worthwhile listen. And I learned a lot just from those three tips alone. And I'm not going to share them here because I want you to have to stay until the end and listen. Please go out and buy Virago. I will see you at the end of the show. I think that's just such incredible work. And even though it's not whole food (laughs) plant-based recovery story, I just thought, imagine just stopping your life and leaving everything. Yeah, well, it's stories about the strength of spirit. Yeah. And that's what we need. We need to remember the strength of spirit that we all have when we're dealing with. I mean, I've never, I I mean, I've got, I've never had extreme chronic problems, but I had like a six months bed bound when I was pregnant or four four to six months bed bound when I was pregnant. And it's just, you know, even just that much time is, you can lose your your sense of spirit, your sense of strength of spirit. And it's hearing these stories are the ones that really, remind us how much we can do as a I was literally just talking about my housemate at the moment we're talking about the the corona fears and and I said you know like through it all I just have one underlying belief and that is that humans we as people have got such strong spirits and such a deep capacity to overcome adversity and to adapt and change and um we're gonna we're gonna lose a lot quite possibly through this journey but in that, I, the the underlying thing in me is a is a belief in the faith of human of humankind, really. Yes, it is. It's it's definitely a heaviness, and I actually haven't mentioned it in this podcast because it's kind of happened in the last, gotten more severe in the last week or so. And I know I heard that there's over three hundred people died in Italy in the last in twenty four hours. Really, shit. Yeah, just recently. So it's it is really severe and I I don't really know how to approach it because it is something that's it's everywhere but it's also feels really like a thick haze rather than like a 
here is the way to act. Here's the best practice to act. Like I wish there was more clarity and I, I guess maybe we could look at, we should look to countries who are doing it well right now and try and find, because our media just seems to perpetuate the fear and the fear and the fear and the, the noise around it. But I don't think people know how to act. And so we're just acting from that position of fear rather than you know, maybe looking around the world and seeing the countries that are responding in in ways that are are calming to the population, but also that can that help contain the issue in a in a practical and less reasonable way. reason yeah more reasonable way. Can I check in? Are we recording already? Well, I just <laughs> always be recording, but I only I'm only going to probably I probably will use that part you said about the um, coronavirus because I really liked that. But we well, just because I actually have a response to what you're saying, and I just kind of want to know what's being recorded. Yeah, just yeah, when yeah. I'm talking well, about it. So yeah, what I was talking about with. My housemate is this sense that, you know, we're in this world of newness. We've got this new virus and something new has entered our our existence. And change and newness freaks people out, especially when it's so deeply connected with stability, security and, um, and health, life, really, mortality, uh, which is the biggest one. And um, I was saying to her that there's this real feeling... I have this, you know, I was talking about that deep feeling of trust in, in humankind to adapt. And um, unfortunately, in that trust, the like, that trust doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't take away the heartbreak of knowing that, you know, especially like I'm not particularly a high risk factor, but there's a lot of people in my life who are high risk factors. And it certainly doesn't take away that grief or that fear for me. And it certainly wouldn't take away the fear of somebody who is in a high risk factor. On top, and I think that we that we like to have the, like it like it to be black or white, like binary. We have to either be afraid or safe. And I have a I have this like double layered. I don't think life works like that. And I have this double layered feeling of yes, I feel the concern, I feel the fear, I feel the the, the deep worry and and the grief. Um, but I also feel that underlying faith in humankind. And I think about like you were just talking about Cambodia. I think about what the Khmer people went through during the Khmer Rouge. And how much sense of, of, of self and spirit that people had to, to call upon to get through that period. And lots of people died, like millions of people were murdered. Um, and they were living in a state of, I can imagine living in a state of immense high anxiety the whole time. But they got through it. And I think about my dad's generation. My dad comes from, like, he's a Cockney, he's from here, like, in East London. And um, he was a child during the polio outbreak. And it would have been very normal to go out and walk around London and get on with your life with the immense high risk of contracting a disease that wouldn't just give you a mild cold or and the, which would then affect your respiratory glands and then, you know, you, would, you could possibly die. It was something that would then break down while you were still alive, your bodily functions, and possibly, um, possibly lead you to, to surviving polio, but surviving with immense health uh, damage for the rest of your life um, and they didn't have the medical support that we have these days either and that was a, a daily reality for a period of time that meant that I guess there was a sense of that I can imagine there must have been a certain level of normalization that must have had to come into the human spirit to be able to deal with it to be able to move through that 
And I think um, that is where the adaptability of the human race comes in, in, in my eyes, in my mind. And so I think that um, I have, yeah, I've got the fear and I've got all, all the grief and all this stuff. And yet there's this deep underlying calling upon, calling upon history, calling upon what I've seen other cultures and other generations have to live through. Our generations never had to live through anything like this before. We really haven't had a massive outbreak um, of something that has blown up the whole world in this way. And um, and I'm all, all I can do is call upon the strength of, of I guess, our ancestors or the strength of the communities um, outside of the, the society that I've grown up in. And I think about people who live even now in war, in, in immense war and stuff, and they have to live through this anxiety. And we have lived an immensely privileged life where we have not had to face that. And here we are having to face it. And um, all we can do is call upon the strength of human spirit and and know that we can get through it. And um, yeah, I think that that's, that's the, what's kind of underlying in it for me. And I think that that for me, I, I, I feel very similar. And I think that, I think that it, like you're right, like we've never, we've never been through that. We have been in this really privileged time if we're, you know, pretty much post-World War Two, you know, we haven't really had to live through a really in, – in, I'm talking in Australia, so if you're listening in other parts of the world that you're still living in desperate war and horrible times, I obviously cannot – I cannot talk from that position. But for me in Australia, we haven't – I haven't lived through yeah. anything like this. As white colonial Australians. As white colonial we, have not had, we have not had to face this, but we are in a, we're actually in a minority – we are we are the minority experience, despite the fact that we act like we're the majority experience. That's you know? so true. That's so true, and it's interesting because, yeah, like you're saying, like when I, when we look at when I've looked at Syria, for instance, for years, obviously, and you know, and Palestine, and you look at these countries that are going through this immense, you know, so many parts of Africa, so many parts of the world that are going through this immense trauma and fear and living in that uncertainty all the time and and we can't imagine it and I I there is some kind of for me as you say like those countries they have to find the the resourcefulness and the resilience to keep going each day amongst that fear and uncertainty that they have to live in and that real threat all the time which I've never ever experienced, but but that I do glean so much, so much faith. Not faith isn't the right word, but so much belief, I guess, in the in like as you say, the human spirit. Because when you see suffering, I remember seeing this girl in India. She was sleeping on the sidewalk under like carpets. That didn't look like blankets. They looked like really beautiful thick carpets, and they were living on the on this, on the road, you know, just on the steps. And I remember walking past her and thinking, you know, as a, from Australia, I'm white, walking along that street and thinking, oh my gosh, all these families are sleeping outside, you know, under this, they've got no toilet, they've got no sink, no kitchen, no nothing. They just live on this, on this road, this part, like living in Fed Square, you know, it was like that, like a, like a nice area, but it was, they were just living on the street. And it was two in the morning and we'd been walking at night and this little fucking gorgeous face just peeked out of, they were all under, fully under the blankets and she just peered out at me and her, like, 
she just woken up like she was sleepy and she just peeked her head out and she would have been like same age as my child, like eight years old. She just peeked out and she looked at me with that. So she had not, nothing, but she looked out at me and was like, she'd seen a celebrity. Like she was, but she peeked, not because I was, but just because she hadn't seen a white person probably for a, a while. And she saw a white person, she saw a person and she just looked out with this, I'm saying that because a lot of the people there had seen me as white and were like, whoa, you know, and wanted a photo with me. So it wasn't like I'm saying, you know, anything important, but it was just, I knew that that was her face because I'd seen that face a lot on my travels that like, whoa, white person, you know, <laughs> like, so she peeked out and she saw me and her face lit up like it was Christmas day, like this big smile. And I was thinking in all of what you're going through, like she has no... I'm putting my beliefs about how her suffering is on her. Like you should, you've got no kitchen, you've got no toilet. But in that moment, she wasn't thinking, oh, you know, I've got no bed. She was just pure joy. Like there's moments of pure joy in humanity, that human spirit. I can see in her face that she was just like, I cannot wait to tell everyone, you know. And she just looked at me and smiled this big smile and then covered her head back up in the blankets. And I could just see that she was like, oh, I can't wait in the morning. I'm going to tell my brothers and sisters under these blankets what I saw last night. And we made this eye contact moment. And it was just like, I was saying that she's suffering and I was saying that this hardship and blah, blah, blah. But she was like, she was not suffering in that second. She was just living her life. She was just living her existence. Living her existence. And we do, and, our, and existence is, you know, it can have suffering and it can, it's definitely not to, in any way take away the hardship and how fucking difficult it is but what's magic is that no matter what I seem to see across every demographic and culture and subculture like as a queer person like what other LGBTQI plus communities have had to go through the one thing that we never lost was our ability to fucking party hard and 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 celebrate and come together and and and, and this is where pride the concept of pride comes from was like, if the whole world is telling you that you don't belong, you need to remind yourself that you belong. And you do that by coming together and then you connect with human spirit and we would connect as a community. And I think that is the care and a scary part of what, what, what everyone's talking about with the corona of like self-isolation and stuff is that a big part of human spirit is can, has often come from that sense of community. And, um, and, and so there is a fear in that, of that isolation. But what we do have now is, is a lot of us have connections to the technology side of things. Or, and I think that that's going to be very helpful for a lot of people. But. Yes. And I think that to, just to thread to your work, but loosely, and I'm thinking about that girl, that girl had community. She was sleeping in a sea of people. You know, she's sleeping in a sea. And I think that one of the things, as you say, that this is bringing together is even though we might have to go into isolation and a lot of people are in isolation, it is connecting our spirits in a way that I haven't seen for a while. You know, people are making groups about sharing necessities like flour and toilet paper and all these things online. People are wanting to support each other in ways and touching each other. Like not touching because obviously don't. <laughs> but... Um, I mean, everyone, I'm still touching people, but I know a lot of people who aren't recommending touching people. But, um, you know, we're touching people in metaphys in connect in our hearts in ways that are rippling out in the community, which I'm really, really liking. Seeing. Yeah, if only we could connect together like this as a globe for things like climate change and stuff like that. Like there's a global connection. We're all – we all share fear and it's something that is um, – outside of human race it's not fear of another human it's fear of something else something separate 
Um, you know, and it's like when you look at all the the alien movies, you know, you get all the countries around the world and they're all fighting with each other and suddenly an alien turns up and we all like band together and fight off the aliens, you know, and suddenly the Russians and the Americans have to work together, you know, because <laughs> they're like the, the archetypal enemies in all the movies. Yes. And, um, and yeah, I find that really, I find it really interesting to see how the world is beginning to communicate. I find communication fascinating. I really do. It's, it's, um, it's really, yeah, it's, it's kind of really a passion of mine. And, and it's just what you were saying about the, the, the girl in her community. Like when I lived on the streets, it was, it was the other people around me that became my family. Like I made lifelong friends, um, through the fact that we were all in adversity, living in adversity and we had a great time. We really did. And it was fucking hard and it was cold and we were hungry, but we, the human spirit finds reasons to exist and it finds it finds hope and it finds magic and um and i love that and that's you know when we i actually just wrote a piece recently around um i've been reading a book called women men and the whole damn thing and it's written by david lesser who's a journalist and he was kind of writing on the me too movement or writing on kind of the way how did we get to this place as a society where women and men are in this situation, you know, where women are being murdered and raped and raped and this sort of stuff. And I mean, it's a really interesting. He 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 apparently he published it not long after the Me Too campaign kind of happened, and there was a lot of controversy around him writing this book. And so I read the first like chapter or so and was crying, and I and I wrote this piece in response to it because the book was just statistic after statistic after statistic I'm about a third of the way in and so far really what he's doing is really nailing into the extreme of the situation and in that book the one thing that I kind of in my, in my writing sorry my response to the book one of the things I said was you know that we as, as as women we we trust and we've been we have been raped we have been abused we have been uh Genetic, uh, genitalia, like had our, our genitals mutilated. We have had our sense of self mutilated over and over again for thousands of years, thousands of years. Every woman's story in that book is my story. Whether or not I've experienced the things that she's gone through, everything that I hear and read uh, hits me with a sense of familiarity. And um, and yet we trust. We meet a man, and we trust. And um, and I kind of read. I, th- I kind of wrote that. You know, I think that that trust, in some ways, is ultimately been our downfall, because the fact that every time we meet another man and we trust him, puts us back in the firing line. If that trust has been misplaced, however, who are we without that trust? Who are we if we don't have that trust? What is left of humankind if we don't of womankind if we don't have that trust? And it is, although it is a mo- ultimately quite possibly part of our downfall it is also you know our strongest asset that we have chosen to keep trusting that we because it is a choice like I've been in relationships where there has been abusive dynamics playing out and every time something comes up I would choose to trust again and that was misplaced trust but then I've met somebody now who is a cis man who I've fallen in love with and it is well placed trust but if I had not allowed myself the to be somebody who still trusts, then I wouldn't get this. And then who are we without that? It's just, it's just like I don't have, there's no answer to that. I don't know what we are without it. 
But I, I think that we need that sense of trust as humans. And it's the same with hope. That idea, who are we without hope and without trust? And that trust, that trust is it. The trust can only exist without hope as well. It's like I have to hope that this one is different, that this time it's different. Because when we lose that... Do you think that that ties back with what you were talking about within the, with the human spirit? Because that human spirit to believe that good will come, that, you know, that there will be a resolution and it will be a positive one, that perhaps that's part of it, that we, as women, we're optimistic and possibly to our detriment sometimes and our safety, detriment of our safety, when we see like a, a partner and we, we, have so, we put such a, almost a fantasy of what their love could look like and what the best case scenario of what that love could look like. And we live in that fantasy perhaps too long, ignoring the little signposts along the way and that gut intuition, perhaps because we just want to remain in this state of optimism and hope that everyone is essentially decent and respectful and has good intentions. I, I'm not sure. I'm just musing. I think there's so many layers coming mm. on. My brain is like firing off in all these different layers with this. Yeah. Yes, essentially, yes, there's definitely that in there that as we, that we as, as, as humans need to believe, there, there seems to be a need to believe a lot of the time that, that everything will be okay. Um, however, I also know that there are many, um, I feel like there are many situations where people, it's it's pretty clear it's not going to be okay. So like um, in in the situations of the slavery and stuff like that, where it really didn't look like there was going to be a good outlook for anybody, or if people that have been inside um, uh, the, like uh, camps uh, where they're basically being lined up to die, and yet there was still this sense of, of, of human spirit. There are different things that get us through. I'm, so, I'm just unpacking this right now as we're talking. So. I know. So everyone there listening, I'm sorry, this has gone on a tangent, but I guess because the coronavirus is here, it's kind of led this podcast to go in a different way because we're right in the thick of things. And I'm happy for us to ch- change direction in a moment as well. Very happy. No, we, 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 we will, but I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying this chat anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think there's something about the human spirit. So it, when, we, when everything looks bleak, there are situations where there isn't going to be perhaps a, a, a glorious outlook for ourselves, And then you look to, um, to slavery and, and the slave songs, and a lot of them were like, you know, you can take my body, but you can't take my mind and my spirit and my sense of faith. And so that's like the bigger connection, the greater connection. And I wonder if there, there's a human longing for beauty in some of that. I mean, this is the poet in me. Yeah, yeah. I really believe that there's, um, we have a part of us that scans existence for beauty and in that, and I don't just mean aesthetic beauty, I mean a, a quality um, that is beauty that we, that we hunger for. And, and I know that when I lose that in myself, life is so hard to keep going, it's so hard to keep going. Um, when I slip into mental health slides and my capacity to see beauty disappears or doesn't disappear it never disappears completely for me uh, I'm, I think I'm quite blessed in that but um, it definitely becomes a lot harder to find beauty amongst the fog and um, 
you know, and, that, and that's one of the beautiful things about community is that we can remind each other of beauty when it's yes. needed. That's really interesting. I just, it's, it's, it's on that, it's, it's in the theme. But when you were just talking about, you know, you have housemates and we have interactions in our lives. And sometimes when this is, like with coronavirus going on, I was just interviewing a person, a, woman, a beautiful woman before our conversation this morning. And she, her, she lost her children's father 14 days ago, suddenly, 49 years old of a heart, a heart attack. And they were still very close. And he's, she has adult children and the children were there when he had a sudden heart, heart attack and just, she, they, they, they didn't lost him. He died. He died. And she was saying, she was so hopeful. And one of the things she said, which I really loved, and I think connects in this, in this time and in, in what we're talking about with trying to find beauty and having that community to help us see it, was she said one of the questions that she was reading, she was reading articles about how to help her children process this, this death and this loss of their father. And um, one of the things, questions that she asked, because, you know, people, people say, you know, sorry for your loss. or like, We say these things that we're just conditioned to say, these, you know, cliches and things, and that makes us feel like we're saying something, but it often stops the stops the conversation. You know, when we say sorry for your loss, the only real answer you say is thank you. But there's so much more we feel in those times and sorry for your loss kind of, it makes the person feel like they're doing something, but it's not really helpful to the person who's experiencing the loss. They just kind of, they get the gist that you feel sad and don't know what to say, but it's it's kind of yeah, kind of a wall where a conversation may have been needed or an ear or a, a, a shoulder or whatever. But she said one of the things that she talks to her, ki- her kids about is, and, and our communities can really benefit from it too. It's just simple, but you know, when those simple things and you're like, why didn't I think to say that? And I felt the same way when she said it. She said, how can I love you more? Like, how can I love you more in this? You know, it's just a simple question. But when someone's lost someone, rather than saying, you know, how is how is this for you? And how can I love you more? You know, what can I do for you? What do you need in this exact moment? It might be food. It might be a meal. It might be, it could be a variety of things. But when we say sorry for your loss or, you know, I'm sure they're in peace now, something something like that, that we're kind of taught as the dialogue of what you say when there's something like that happening in our lives. But how can I love you more? It actually opens up the space to say, can you just listen to me now? Yeah. You know? Or can you just hear me blurt out how I, that guy was a prick, but sometimes he was good and then he did this. And, you know, you can say so much or you can say nothing at all and just say, can you just watch a movie with me and let me cuddle on the couch into your arms? Yeah. You know, you could say whatever. And this goes into our capacity to know our needs and to understand what our needs are and to also understand what we're, you know, like – we haven't really talked much about my work, but I'm no, so into, we're going to, um, <laughs> but I'm so into to the way we communicate and the things that we say and, and understanding. So like you say this, like, Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Or I'm sorry to hear that. It's, um, it is a, a preconditioned thing that, that we should do. And it actually comes from, I feel like it comes from a time when we were conditioned to believe that other people's business wasn't our business, but we had to be polite. And so, and so we shouldn't pry into other people's spaces. And I don't actually believe, I think that sense of, that's quite outdated sense of um, individualism and separation has, is, is a big part of our kind of collective, um, the collective, well, it's like a pandemic, a different kind of pandemic of, of, of isolation, depression, uh, mental health disorders, um, 
which all stems from disconnection, this sense of disconnection that we feel as a society and culture. And so, you know, it's important that we, that when we can and not that we have to, like there might be times that someone says something like that and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry if you're lost because I actually don't have anything to give myself in that mm. time. Mm. Yes, but, of course. Mm. Yeah. And so, so that's it's knowing what my needs are. But then also like if somebody then does say to me, if I'm feeling tender and my partner says, you know, how can I care for you tonight? And if I've never taken the time to really question to myself, what are my needs? What are my needs and what are my, my desires and what are my wants right now? Then I can't actually answer and he can't help me and it's so important that we start to build a dialogue with ourselves about our own needs and our own wants and when we start to actually know what our own needs and wants are we can start to respect and meet other people's more as well because we understand how important it is when someone has a need and a want that they, then they can express it and this goes to so many areas it goes into like tenderness and sickness and emotion and grief it goes into sexuality into the bedroom into sensuality it goes into friendship it goes into work boundaries and, and this is where it spills out. You said earlier about, um, we were talking at the beginning about how much you appreciate when I talk about boundaries. And so, yeah, like boundaries and preferences are deeply entangled with this understanding of what we need and what we want and um, and understanding our sense of self. And yeah. So everyone listening, we've gone on a big tangential, oh my gosh, my mouth is broken, tangential. Tangential? Is that the word? Well, I'm hearing the word transcendental and tangent <laughs> mixing together here, but I'm liking it. I'm not sure where you're going. It could be a word that I don't know that you're trying to say. Ta- you know. Maybe I'm wrong. It doesn't exist. Am I trying to make it exist? Am <laughs> I like Shakespeare? Um, I'm Googling it right now. Tangen- tangential, relating to or along a tangent. Oh, I like that. Diverging from a previous course or line. Erratic. <laughs> yeah, that's my life. I'm a double Gemini for those of you who follow astrology. Uh, absolute double Gemini. I'm everywhere. So if you have a conversation with me, I will touch on pretty much every subject in in the world within the space of about half an hour. So. Oh, okay. So listen to this. Tangential relationship. Tangential describes something that's not part of the whole. If you make a comment that is tangential to the story you're telling, it's a digression. The story could be could still be understood without it. In geometry, a tangent is a line that touches a curve in one spot but doesn't intersect it anywhere else. Oh, I love that idea. This kind of like, because I, I see people doing it a lot. That reminds me of like, um, <laughs> again, this is a bit of a tangent. <laughs> but it reminds me of the, the kind of whataboutism that we have in our culture. So like I might be talking about, and this has happened, uh, like uh, women's rights. And somebody comes in and goes, what about men's rights? Oh. And I'm like, yeah, it's on its own. It stands on its own. But mm. it's a bit of a tangent off of what I'm talking about right now. And I'm happy to go down that tangent if we can agree that that's where we're going to go uh, as its own separate container. But can you please not carry my uh, current passion and energy that I have right now and try and diverge it and carry it down your pathway? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Ranjit, my husband, if you're editing this, I don't know what you're going to do today, but we're going <laughs> to we're going to figure it out. I wanted to go back to boundaries because one of the reasons why I'm, I'm sure I've given a big blur at the start of this in, in the introduction to this episode about why I wanted Felicia on the show, but as a woman and a mother and a human wanting to grow. I, I really want to grow and learn more and 
just be a kinder person on this planet as often as possible and to the planet, to the animals, to to my human friends and beings on this planet. And you have definitely, your work has helped me. When the discussion and the dialogue around gender and around and women's rights as as well, especially with your work with Mother Tongue, and Felicia's going to t- tell you a bit about this, and I don't want to take up too much of your time, and I know we've gone on some tangents, but I definitely want her to talk about her work a lot because it's work that I think is really valuable as someone who values poetry and the spoken word and the written word and someone who also realises how those stories and those words can, as you say, cast spells and change the dialogue and change... And because t- for me, poetry touches like any kind of artwork. You know, when you really connect with an artwork and it hits you and cracks a part open like that Japanese pottery where they crack it and a gold goes in, you know, it makes it more beautiful. And I, I think that about, you know, all different kinds of artwork and how it reaches. But poetry really deeply has always, and words deeply connect to me. And one of the things I loved about hearing you speak once, and I wanted you to share here if you wouldn't mind, was that talk about that no from the center and those boundary settings. Because I think for so many people, and especially for my listeners who are dealing with chronic illness, often we haven't said a firm no to ourselves or to another or to you know, our doctors or to people who are in higher positions than us. And there's so many parts of our lives where we're taught to to not say no at all or to or to be agreeable if we're women or if we're you know in positions of lesser lesser hierarchy in our workplaces or in our families or in our lives and it was a really mind opening thing to hear you talk about that about saying no and how to say it in a gracious strong way that doesn't actually take away from the person who's hearing like it's it, it's possible that it still can I'm not saying it's never going to upset someone when you say no to them because people often don't like being said no to but it's so important for us to say it for our own for our own spirits to live our truest deepest most meaningful lives. And so, yeah, I would love it if you would talk a bit about that before going into all of your other amazing things. Yeah, totally. Uh, there's so many. Okay, again, I might have to take us down a little a pathway to get us to that because... Please. How did you get there? How did I get there? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I got there, but I got to the beginning point backwards from there. I got there from a lifetime of being someone who didn't really know how to say no, um, didn't feel like my my voice was really worthy of being heard. Um, and, you know, I was bullied a lot. And the way that a lot of people were, were parented during my generation was my, my parents were of the generation who their parents was like, seen, don't be heard. Um, a very harsh level of like, uh, discipline. And, you know, we didn't get the same, but we definitely got an overflow of that, 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 you know, and so I think, and as a woman brought up and having my voice belittled and as a queer person having my voice belittled um, and just the cruelness of playgrounds, I was a bit of a geek, a bit of a nerd. So, you know, 
And I think that for me, I mean, we what, what I really have to look at the first point, especially if we're going to talk about um, people who are dealing with uh, figures of authority. So you're talking about uh, medical systems, doctors, we're talking about carers, we're talking about um, parents, we're talking about even, uh, you know, and then when, when a misplaced authority, like in, in relationships, when one person feels like they have an authority over the other person, we have to look at power. We have to look at how power works. And for me, and this is I'm, um, my next book, it's not the book that I've just, just releasing now, but the, this, the one I'm releasing now is the procrastination on the one that I <laughs> next want to release because that's how I work. I do something incredible just to kind of avoid doing the other incredible thing that I want to do. <laughs> so my next book is called The Creator's Voice. And this is what it's unpacking is this idea of silencing and marginalization, right? And so the way that the power works in our current society is to have power, you must take away power. You want to have power over so you must take away the power of the, of, of the person you want to have power over. Now, the best way in all the years that I have worked in people with, with public speaking with people, that I've worked with mother tongue, seeing women get up on that stage and share their stories, thousands of women now, the consistent pattern is that I have noticed that if you want to take away power, you have to take away their voice. And that is the easiest way to take away someone's power is to take away their voice. And if you want to take away their voice... The easiest way to take away someone's voice is to destroy their self-worth because they will not believe they are even worthy of having a voice. So why should they try? So you don't have to silence them anymore. They then silence themselves. It becomes a practice, a self-silencing practice, which becomes generational, uh, not just generational through actual generations, but it becomes generational through, um, so like, uh, like subcultures. So people who um, are, are queer, for example, or for people of color or for, you know, indigenous communities or communities of people with different abilities. You know, it's, it's we, 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 um, we as a community start to have a low sense of self and self-worth. And so for me, the reclaiming of, of, of that power in those dynamics and to be able to lay boundaries down, moving towards into boundaries, is that real reclaiming of the sense of self and understanding, this is what I was just saying, understanding our needs and getting to know what our wants are, what our needs are, where our boundaries are and what our preferences are. We're going to get into it, and I've mentioned it at the beginning, Mother Tongue and your work there. But one of the things I love about Mother Tongue, not just – it's there's so many ways of explaining it without sounding – it's so hard. <laughs> I feel so – it's so difficult to talk about these issues without sounding like – I don't know. Well, only way I can think of is asshole. So that's what I'm thinking. But one of the things I love about Mother Tongue from me, not only do you give a voice to, you know, on the weekend at Seven Sisters. So just, it just when you're listening to this, it won't have just been this weekend. It's a pre, it'll be the previous one. At Seven Sisters, when I attended Mother Tongue, and there was this beautiful trans woman reading her poetry and sharing her story. And it's a story that should be a story that I know. Like, not that I know because I've experienced it, because I haven't experienced it, but it should be a story that everyone has heard and that everyone knows. And so I felt so honoured to hear that journey. Because, you know, it's, it's, you know, I've had a similar, you know, in Australia, in, in country Australia, you know, you, you meet people who are a little bit more closed-minded and who are a little bit harsher, but her living in that experience where you're not accepted by your family and you're not accepted by your community and you have to navigate that and the, all of the stuff that goes with not not being accepted by the people who are meant to unconditionally accept you, but then that telling you an underlying thing that you're unacceptable 
that your being is unacceptable and your way of being is unacceptable and having to carry that as a child and a teenager and then as a young adult and then as a, a woman into the world and knowing that you'll be met with violence and opposition and all of these things. And one of the reasons why I wanted you on the show was because that work that you're doing Letting those, making a space for those voices to be heard, holding a space for those voices to be heard, it gives such a gift to to those people who are speaking and get and, and speaking. But like for me, who our mainstream doesn't show, there's no trans person, but there probably will be soon on Neighbours. Not that I watch Neighbours, but you know what I mean. We're not seeing those voices in film yet. Very often, we're not most you know Hollywood films. We're not seeing that in the Australian soap operas. I don't have. Aerial TV, but you know, I know that they they're not, and you're giving a platform to educate me, you know, to educate cis people, to educate people who are the mainstream, who do, who haven't had to hear those stories because they're not part of our dialogue. Yeah, and that's the privilege that that, that we live through quite often is we haven't had to think about that stuff. But also that also that's exactly what marginalization. That's how marginalization and silencing works. It's not even you don't need to have somebody being overtly homophobic or transphobic or racist on TV for there to be marginalization and silencing happening. It is the absolute omission of those people being included in culture that creates that. So the fact that we don't have trans women on Neighbours and, and you know what, and, and what's even more, what's even more frustrating for me is the I'm fact that when sure. there is... I just don't oh, yeah. expect, well, I, okay, I haven't I seen any recently. But the fact that, that, that it, when, when I was growing up, there were rarely queer people, very, very rarely queer women and a little bit queer men. I remember that guy called Simon was on was on EastEnders and he was a gay guy. And that was like, whoa, Simon's gay. Okay. And it was an issue. It was made, it was an issue thing that needed to be talked about. And I think that this is, we're kind of past the point of needing to have issue stories now. We're at the point where we just need actually it to be normal. I want there to be and, and actually, I do see this on a lot, a lot of Netflix shows. There's a lot of Netflix writers are really, really good at doing this. So, for example, the um, the Wachowski sisters, they're amazing at normalizing characters of diversity. So that means when I talk, what I'm saying when I say that is like that means that if we're going to use the trans example, there is a trans woman in a show and it doesn't need to be about the issue of being trans, that she is just another woman living her life. And obviously the things that she faces in her life are brought up because that's part of her life. But it's not, this is a show about the issue of being trans. That, 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 and that's where the normalization comes in. So when I start to see children's books, children's books are a big one for me because I've got a five-year-old. Children's books, that a little about a character and that character's parents just happen to be two mums. There's no, it's, it's not a book about two mums. There's so many books about two mums and about two dads. But what about, let's just have like, Winnie the Pooh, except for Christopher Robin happened to be gay. Mm. You know, there's nothing else in there about that. There's no issues with it. Or we get, and, and there are shows that are doing it. Like I say, She-Ra. Do you remember She-Ra? I love She-Ra He-Man's so sister. Much. Well, the She-Ra writers, the new wave of She-Ra writers have stepped forward in a way that I think is incredible. And they have queer characters. Um, the lead characters are queer. For She-Ra, uh, I don't know about, I don't know, it's not even it's not about sex and this is why i think people get a bit frustrated with moving sexuality uh, or attraction uh, and and love like who we are attracted to into children's shows because they're like oh it shouldn't be about sexuality but it's not it's about identity it's not about sex it's 
about identity. And so if in this show, um, one of the one of the women is attracted to another woman and she's clearly it doesn't say I want to have sex with her. It's going it's, I want to hang out with her. I miss her. I really love her. You know, this sort of stuff. Um, and that happens in She-Ra. And there's another one of the characters, Bo. He's this um, he's this black boy. He's the only male who is one of the lead characters. And he's a black guy and he's got this cute little crop top and he's amazing at shooting arrows. That's why he's called Bo. And he has two dads. And, <laughs> and he has two dads. And never, never once in that whole show have I had, has there ever been a point where it has been mentioned that he has two dads. It's just they appear, they hang out, they talk. It's not like, oh my God, that's so weird that you have two dads. Not once has that been mentioned. Because that plants the idea that, that it's, it's weird. weird. Yes. We don't need to plant that idea anymore because it's not weird. So why don't we start just actually creating that step of normalization and representation? We've yeah. totally diverged from what I was saying and the way that I was going to go on this. And We're I talking just about boundaries. We want to go back to boundaries. But I think I really liked hearing that. I'm sorry, Rinji, because it's going to be a long episode. But I really liked <laughs> I really liked hearing that for myself. And I know that there there are listeners who will benefit from he- just hearing about what you're saying about the normalization and not having it as a token gay person in Neighbours who they're like, Billy's here and he's gay. Meet yeah. Billy. You know, like it really. Oh God, was Billy gay? <laughs> was so cute. I had such a crush on Billy when I was a kid. Anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, Billy. Susan and Carl's son. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. This is off topic, but I met Billy's. Billy's dad in real life is a GP. And he had to give me a pap smear once. And I said, okay, I'm like, oh, my God, Renji, I got a pap smear from Billy's dad. <laughs> it was when he'd already gone and done house. But I was I like, hi, Billy's dad, I'm so sorry, but I need a pap smear. And I was <laughs> so embarrassed getting a pap smear from you because you're Billy's dad. And he just laughed and gave me a pap smear. <laughs> he probably gets it every day. I'm sure he does. Anyway, I just anyway, yeah, boundaries. Go. Boundaries. We're going to go back. So, so that's why I think representation is important. Let's close that. That's that's a definitely a very clear subject. Yes. Um, but going back to reclaiming of power. So here we are, and that is a level of reclaiming of power. Actually, the the the, the representation thing. But we um. So we have lost. We we have this sense of self taken away from us. We see that happening. Uh, like uh, socially, culturally, um, it happens. Like I said, to queer people, uh, through them literally being told that, that we are sinners, that we are weird, we do not deserve to exist. It's happened to people of color through them, through the the whole process of slavery, and not just in slavery, but continued on from then on. Socially, people of color have always been treated as if they are inferior. Same with people with different abilities as well, um, and different and neurodiversities. It's this sense that for some reason they are inferior and they are not. Uh, quote unquote normal therefore they're not as good as and then that takes away our sense of self and gives us less impetus to use our voice because we don't believe our voice is worthy because we're not normal we're not we're, we're not deserving we're not whatever so, so the first point to reclaiming our voice and laying down boundaries is really beginning to re-nurture our sense of self and getting to know who we are and I mean, like I'm a writer, I'm a poet. A big part of my journey of that has been writing, has been has been been poeting. You know, like sharing my story on stages in places where it is safe, where people will hear me, so I can remind myself that I belong and that I am worthy. And also, a lot of reasons people don't speak and talk about their stories is because of that fear. But 
because they don't know what they are. Like I haven't, I don't even know what I believe or what I think or what my opinions are on this. And so we don't talk, but unless we talk about it, there's, it's harder to find our opinions. It's harder to find our truth and to find our sense of self. That's really, really a powerful thing. And I think that for many people, I know myself, when I don't go out and I don't like a lot, especially when we're, now we're self, now we're self isolating. Now people are self isolating. We, I'm not as a family right now, but many people around the world are. When we don't go out and you know go into different spaces with different cultures and different beliefs and different ways of being different, it's so easy not not to just to take our own status quo about the way we've been raised and the way we've been conditioned and to, to move in the world. And when, you know, when I move in different spaces and I'm like, oh, you know, there's other people who live and value other things. That is when I started to grow my own values before, you know, in my mid twenties, when you go off to university, you go somewhere and you start to see other people living and moving in the world, other cultures, other, you know, when you travel or whatever, I really felt that, yeah, I had no in my twenties. I just had no idea what my values were, and it wasn't until I started to expand my horizons that I was like, "Oh, well, one of my values is deeply is compassion. You know, one of my values is is kindness, and you know, growth and extending extend and wanting to unite people in, in community." And I did not know that for so long until I realized that the adversity of others that I hadn't ever seen because I had been in a in a little white bubble in my little white country town. Does that make sense? It really does, yeah. Uh, I think that um, we are built so much by our, uh, our, our nurture, you know, this idea of nature or nurture, and it's both existence, but nature can, can be very squashed by nurture. So I believe that everybody comes through as deeply loving beings, but it doesn't take long of being nurtured to be someone who, um, who believes in xenophobic ideas for that to become who we start being in the world. Um, but even beyond like avert xenophobia, it's like, just, just, uh, if I want to know, if I want to know who I am, I cannot know who I am. If all I have been built by is my parents or my close close community, because then I am only made up of them and their ideas. And so the pool of con of versions of myself, I have to, I, I, I can pull from or the pool of, 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 Maybe the pool of colors in my in my palette tray to build the paint the painting that I am is very limited, and when I go out in the world and I interact with other people, I can start to explore other people's voices, hear other people's voices and other people's stories, and each one of those is another color added to the the palette that I can paint myself with and become, and I can choose which ones don't serve me and which ones do, and. But also, there's it's not just about what we take in; it's about what we put out. Sometimes I say something and I'm like oh, do I even believe that anymore? And it's actually through conversations like this, like you and I are having, where I can say things out loud that I hadn't even thought about until they come out my mouth. And then I'm like, oh, wow, I do believe that. That is something that I believe. And it's through this idea, this is where I admit about the words being spells that we cast. And um, when, 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 I, when I speak things aloud, I believe them more. Truth becomes more for me. And so giving ourselves safe spaces to share our stories uh, and to share our sense of worth is really, really important for that. I'm just pausing because I'm aware of the time, but I'm just like, that was a good segue into talking about mother tongue and entrance into it then. And I was like, should I take this or should I tie up boundaries more? <laughs> so I was, that was where my brain was going. Take this segue into mother tongue or, 
untie our boundaries more. You talked about values and I was just thinking, yeah. is do you want to expand a tiny bit more and just give it a little tidy up maybe with your, your no or do you want to yeah, go I'm to gonna, Mother Tongue? I'll, I'll finish up boundaries and then we'll go to Mother yeah, Tongue. Yeah, okay, great. Okay. <laughs> I could talk to you all day. Sorry, I'm just taking up your time with my enjoyment chatting with you and hearing what you have to say. I'm, so I'm enjoying the conversation. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> it's not like I can go anywhere else today, is it? No. <laughs> um, so to close this up, with the story of, of reclaiming. So we've, we, we, we've taken time to understand our sense of self. And this, this, this journey can happen like throughout our lives. It can happen throughout our day. It can happen throughout our moment. The, the sense of self, who am I? And then the next thing is to reclaim my voice. And to do that, I have to lay, learn to, to say what I want, to express what I need, but to also lay down boundaries around what I don't and do what I won't have and what I will not have in my life. And to do that, we have to understand the difference between boundaries and preferences mm. because a boundary is very different to a preference. Um, a preference says I'd rather not. And a boundary says that cannot happen. Mm. A preference says, you know, I, I'd rather not be treated like that, but if that happens, I'll, I'll deal with it and I can get on with my life and that's fine. Um, it's, it's not going to bring me the most amount of joy, but I, I can deal with it. A boundary says, I, I refuse. This is a non-negotiable in my life. I will not allow this stuff to happen in my life to me or to somebody else. And so for that to really be a boundary, we have to then know that there has to be a consequence because me just saying that isn't going to stop someone from doing those things. So I have to know, so what is the consequence? And often we think consequences have to be at the other person. If you do this, I will do this to you. That's the consequence. But really that's not what the consequences usually are when laying down boundaries. The consequences usually are, if this is my boundary, if you cannot respect that boundary, I will do this for myself to make sure you can never do that again to me. Often, not always, but often. So that's, you know, that's when we get situations like being in a relationship and it is starting to look unhealthy. And instead of going, you can't do this to me ever again. If you do, you know, I'm going to start to be mean to you or something, you know, because that's what often happens. It's going, you can't treat me like this anymore. And if I start to notice it going that way, I'm going to remove myself to ensure that I am safe. I'm not removing myself for you to get back at you. I'm removing myself because I won't have this in my life. And I need to make sure for me in my life that I don't have it, that I don't put it in my life. And by choosing to stay with you, I'm continuing to put that in my life. And this goes back to our story before around this idea of trust. Trust is beautiful. But if trust doesn't have boundaries, it's, and if hope doesn't have boundaries, it's dangerous. And so I can trust, I can trust that my partner will, I can trust in my being in bed with, naked with my partner. I can trust sharing my heart and my soul with my partner. But if he starts to cross boundaries, I have to, I have to know that what my boundaries are. So I know that they're being crossed for a start. Because if I don't know what they are, I'm not going to know they're being crossed. And neither is he. He needs to know what my boundaries are too. Otherwise he doesn't know he's crossing them, right? So once I know that my, what my boundaries are and I see that they're being crossed, I can go, hey, I'm noticing my boundaries are being crossed right now. The first step could be, I just want to clarify with you that you understand where my boundaries are. This is what my boundary is. How does that make you feel? And if he's like, oh, I didn't know that. All right. Thank you for letting me know. And then we could carry on. You know, that could be my first step. That could be my first, my first consequence is me really being clear about what my boundaries are so he knows. If that gets crossed again, then I say, hey, my boundary is being crossed again. And 
I did explain to them and I now I now know that you know that you're crossing my boundary. This isn't just you're accidentally crossing my boundary or I didn't even know what my boundary was, so you've crossed it. You know you've crossed my boundary. I am going to remove myself from this situation to ensure that my boundaries stay safe. And it's no longer about like I'm gonna get back at you. I need to like and this is where I think um this idea of saying no that we talk about and you're talking about, you know, how do you say no in a way that is self-contained? It's not about, you know, attacking the other person. And, and there's, there's different ways of speaking. And, and then this is when we can really know our boundaries, that a strong no doesn't come as an attack at the other person. A strong no doesn't come as a submission to the other person and, and a denial of our own wants. A strong no says, I know who I am. I know that I'm worthy. I know where my boundary is to honor that worth. And I know that if you cross that boundary, I will do these exact things to make sure that that's not going to happen to me again because I'm worthy of that not happening again. When, I, when we're talking about this, now you said like to know our boundaries, we need to understand basically our own unique sense of self. And that can be from like we talked about moving in, in the world and exposing ourselves to things that make us question the, the homeostasis of what our homeostasis might not be the right word, but, you know, the conditioning that we've, the status quo that we've assumed is our norm. You know, we just behave this way because our two, our two parents in our life and our few friends in our small towns told us that this is the way we act and this is where we respond and these are the foods we eat and these are the beliefs that we have. When we start broadening that, we can start, pushing and questioning if those values are ours or if they're just ones that were fed to us throughout our childhood and upbringing. But for people who are in that place, and I know I've been there and you, you don't quite know, and I, I know we are giving them that bit about exposing yourself to more things, but, and they're thinking like, I'm not, I am not in a place where I could give a confident no, and I don't know what my values are. You did also mention about writing, but how, how can we help people support them on their on their way to feeling more confident to lay some firm boundaries? There's a few different ways. That, I mean, for a start, it's a journey. It's always going to be a journey. Like I've never, I, I haven't got there that every single time I have a boundary, I know I can see it coming up and I know it and I've laid it down and it's been respected. You know, so compassion for ourselves and our journeys we learn often we learn where our boundary is because it's been crossed and we go, Oh shit, that was absolutely a boundary for me. And I didn't realize, um, another part is learning to respect other people's boundaries when, and hearing other people's boundaries. And then we start to question our own big part of it is just self inquiry in, in the moment, what makes us feel good and what doesn't. And am I prepared to follow through with the consequence that has to be taken? And not only that, but am I prepared to fall, to live with, the consequences of not doing that if I turn, just decide to make it a preference if I decide to take this thing that feels like it could be a boundary for me and make it a preference am I prepared to live every day of my life knowing that I have chosen that yes and it's so I think some of the times we don't question things like for instance when I was doing a so I was doing a studying doing my social work degree and I was in this class and they were talking about greetings and I spent a long time being non, non-touchy. non And then I just kind of overcompensated and became like a hug first, ask questions later person. Like I, I describe myself as a wet Labrador, you know, just I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm very excited to see you, you know. like. Um, <laughs> Yes, yes, I know, I know, I know those people very well. 
<laughs> I can be a bit like that. And then this guy, when he said, what would you do in this situation? And I said, they class, the teacher said this, and I said, oh, I probably would hug first. And this guy said, if you hug me, I'll punch you in the face. And I had never thought that someone would feel that strongly about it had never been in my sphere that I, would, I should ask for consent for a hug. But I should because his boundary is I'll punch you in the face if you come and hug me. And I was so shocked. But, I mean, some things that you just take for granted as nice because to you they're nice. And I was trying to get, get to hugging from no touching person, just weirdly social, awkward, weird cheek, no kiss cheek greetings would be like no hugs are really nice everyone needs them I'm gonna just do hugs now by default but then realizing that he's still back at the don't fucking touch me place and I had to then go okay hugs aren't for everyone like this guy really doesn't fucking want (laughs) really doesn't doesn't want one and I think that that's hard because you don't I never expected that to be a thing and when we think about consent and boundaries and consent Sometimes you take for granted that something that's not a boundary for you, that's totally fine for you and that you think is just love, how could you, re- how could you respond with a punch in the face to offering love to someone? But other people aren't questioning those things that you take for granted, if that makes sense. And this sounds like a pretty harsh thing to say, but to some people their way of expressing love is to punch someone in the face. You know, and, it's, and, you know, and that's, that sounds like a – but we, that doesn't mean it's okay. And, you know, and so it's like um, just because my intention is love doesn't mean it's appropriate in this situation. Absolutely. And so it's um, – and there are appropriate situations to punch someone in the face, you know, <laughs> a boxing ring. That's exactly what you're there for. Yeah. So, <laughs> exactly. But that was for me something when you're talking about boundaries that I, I've had – I'm still learning with my own children that – I want to squeeze their butts all the time because their butts are adorable. And I want to, and I can't, I still can't resist. And they'll say to me, mum, you know, please don't touch my butt, you know, and I'll be like, but it's their body. And I want to teach them body autonomy. And I want to teach them to have to to tell who they want to touch their bodies to touch their bodies. And I can't just touch their body, but their butts are freaking irresistible. And so it's still, it's it's a journey for me because I'm just like, oh, you came out of me and that butt is just, you know oh they're so cute I know and I have I have a five-year-old and like she comes in and she spanks me on the bum that's her thing she loves spanking me on the bum and she does it with her dad and her dad's cool with it I'm not cool with it I don't like that feeling it it's it, it's too entangled with another part of my life and so I'm like babe do not punt do not spank me on the bum I'm sorry that's not okay and then she'll come along and I'll give her a little like tap on the bum or I'll squeeze a little bum and she'll be like mom don't touch me on the bum and I'm like ah oh. Because we do, we're all doing it. We're all learning it. Yeah. And I think this is the real thing: is that like we're all learning. Mm. We're all learning the whole time, and we mm-hmm. have to have absolute compassion for ourselves. And there might be some areas of my life that I am all over boundaries, and I am all over my my voice, and I'm all over my sense of self, and I have absolute sense of self empowerment in that space. And there are some parts of my life that I'm not. And going back to where we started this conversation around around the the, I, the like the need for the voice and the, and the boundaries is especially if like I'm talking to a doctor mm. or I'm talking in a place of authority, those can be the hardest places to lay those boundaries down and to know that our boundaries are worthy. But to me, they are the most important places because when somebody else is 
put, trying to have authority over what happens to us. We need to know. And it's not necessarily that my boundary has to be, sorry, you can't do that. It has to be, you can't do that until I am fully informed and I really know, and I really know that I'm okay with it. And I, I think, just, just to tag on to that, because it's really, really it's powerful. And I remember, and people who've listened to this podcast for a long time, when I was first diagnosed with MS, and for that f- four years that I was under medical care with a neurologist, pretty much every time I visited him, he would say, you're going to get sicker and sicker until you die. Just oh, every six months, I would be told that over and over again. And I... I don't know what it is with my personality personally that even though it did crush me every six months and I'm not saying that I didn't go into like the pits of despair and grief every six months when I would have that appointment and go home and just think my life's hopeless. What's the point of studying? What's the point of relationships? What's the point of anything? Because I'm going to get sicker and sicker until I die. But I had this stubborn personality that doesn't the back bucks back at authority enough that I could and I was educated and you know I'd had experience navigating that with my brother's illness as well. So it wasn't and I didn't have doctors in this God position as much as many people do have. But if you are are more of an introvert than me or you are more easily pushed around than me and you, you're not ready to have these boundaries and you're not in that place, I highly recommend taking a friend or someone with you to import, important appointments where you don't think you can stand when what they're saying could really erode your confidence in a way that will have lasting effects I always recommend if you're getting a if you're in that situation like if you're like my mom you know she goes and she goes by herself and first of all you can't retain what they're saying when they're telling you something like you know you have cancer or you whatever you can't retain the information and so it's good to have someone there just to record it for you because you're lost in your own muddle of thoughts but please just remember to take someone ask people will reach out because I do think that people think that no one wants to come to those appointments but your friends and peer group or even a social worker or someone or a a carer or a support person to come along and listen and and advocate for you if they're saying something that they're putting a full stop on your life when there's they don't have a full stop they need a comma Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Totally. Yeah. And it's that also it's the the mind's belief that this is this person is the authority, therefore they know better than me. And they, you know, and it's just and so often often people are very, you know, they have more experience, they have more study in that mm-hmm. area. But um, it's a very thin, like you said, the God complex story. And that's not to say that they don't have a, a very a lot of worth. The medical system has so much worth. Oh, absolutely. But um, we're not. In this, I don't, it's not even about talking about them. It's about myself. And it's how do I really retain my sense of self in this? And if my doctor says something to me and I'm not sure, I, I, I need space and I need clarification. I need space and more information. There are my two things I need. So I need more information so I can fully look, understand the situation. And I need space so I'm not in reaction. I'm in, I'm in response because, you know, I go into reaction very easily. And I'm very lucky now that I have a doctor that explains everything to me, everything. And I, I've worked very hard to find a doctor that will do that because um, because most doctors refuse to. They absolutely refuse to. It's a gift when you find that doctor. And if you haven't found it, I highly recommend getting second and third opinions until you find a doctor that you're like, this is the, this is the person who I can say. Like for me, finding my GP and I was like, tell me the root cause. Why did my body suddenly decide to start attacking my brain 
the myelin in my brain. Like after born healthy, moving along, I'm 24 now and my body's just decided to malfunction and start attacking the myelin sheath around my nerves in my brain and spinal cord. Why would that happen? Like, why would that happen? And like most doctors would say, there's no reason, it's just a little, but I just believed in my heart that it doesn't just, your body's so incredible at healing, you know, it heals so, broken bones, it can heal so many things. Why would it just make this thing malfunction in this way and then make it irreversible and unable to be healed? It just didn't make sense to my to my spirit when he said when when he said that to me and that's why I kept searching and seeking and trying to find answers and if you haven't found answers just keep trying to find a doctor that's sympathetic or that writes in me because there's many many incredible doctors that are on this show if you're listening and you're like I don't have a good GP write to me and I'll link you up with some really really great GPs who are investigative and who will actually listen to you and try and find a root underlying cause to whatever is ailing you yeah so your work your work. So it's a long journey here, but I've done your rise course and I'm going to I'm going to do it again this year cuz because I love it. It's just it's just getting I really like to go deep with it and when I have good children and work and all these things and I want to actually in, invest more cuz the first time I did it I think I did it for the 3 weeks, 4 weeks and then I kind of slipped away. The RISE course I found really, really beneficial in myself with being, because I, want, I wanted to do it for this podcast and for my own work with women's facilitation, circle facilitation and just f- claiming more space for myself as a woman because I felt like I was like, I don't know, skirting around the things that I was good at and my strengths, saying it in a way that was like apologizing for them or or qualifying constantly why people should listen to me or why I was valuable to be heard or feeling like I had much, much less to offer than male males that were in the same arena with perhaps less experience and perhaps less lived experience as well, but that were just able to feel confident to be like, I know what I'm talking about here. I am, I'm an authority on this. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's doing so well. And I think that the reason I'm not doing so well is because I'm like, please listen to me. Like, I'm a good person. <laughs> you know, so apologizing um, and begging in a way to be heard rather than just standing here saying, this is my story and this is – there's power in that alone without – me having to qualify it or give you a whole list of, you know, criteria about why you should listen to me. So, yeah, Rise and Mother Tongue. And you also have your beautiful books, which I really think everyone, if you love poetry, like I love poetry, and I haven't even mentioned witches and the poems you read on the weekend, that one, the way you used the word pride with the lions, I was freaking having a mind, ear, heart, climactic experience <laughs> I just loved the way you, and the poppy oh my god there was there's two different three different poems that you read and all of them had bits that I really love when you come back to the threads to tie the threads back in together of the the language that you're using like with pride or poppy and I just yeah you really capture you really capture my heart with your words and I know that people listening I'm going to put all of the well all the poems I can find of Fleecy on YouTube and online in the show notes and I highly recommend listening because it will just light a fire in your soul and you'll love them but yes so how did where did Mother Tongue start? 
Mother Tongue. So I'm going to tell everyone what Mother Tongue is first. Mother Tongue is a platform for women's voices that has been running for seven and a half years. It began as a single event, which was an evening of women's spoken word in Melbourne. And it came from me being thousands of miles from home. I had just traveled overland from England all the way to Southeast Asia and then flown to fallen in love with somebody, flown to Melbourne. Um, and we'd hitchhiked up the coast of Australia and we got to the top of Australia and we'd realized that it was just not right together. I was thousands of miles from home. I had no community, no women around me. And through my relationship with him was beginning to really distrust women. Uh, well, not that through his rela- my relationship with him, but through my relationship with him, I'd noticed my own distrust in women and my lack of women that in my life. And I just thought, I just was, I was dancing actually. And these words, mother tongue came into my head and I just knew that I had to, to, to put on an event. So uh, I called up a friend, Vanessa, and we decided to run it in Melbourne. Um, two weeks after I got to Melbourne, the event happened. And I imagined about 11 people coming and we had about 75 people come and squish into this tiny little room. And what it is, is it's a space for women to share their stories uh, through poetry, through spoken word, through comedy, through uh, any of the kind of like verbal storytelling platforms. And we also bring feature women in. Uh, What's so incredible about it, though, I think is unlike most spoken word events, it's it has the quality of a woman's circle on some level it has this space of deep reverence of yeah of being able to share vulnerably and honestly our stories without having to hold up this front of being an entertainer or this front of being uh, perfect for stage or having prepared there are some women that will write things in the audience and jump up and perform i did it on the weekend yeah on the weekend that happened and and yet at the same time it's not a woman's circle because it has this air of entertainment has this air of lightness and play and, um, and, and, and laughter and, and, and ferocity and anger and all the things that we don't really experience in women's circles, I find. I'm one of those people like the hippie in me wants to spend all day in a woman's circle and then like the kind of council estate uh, Londoner in me wants to go nowhere near women's circles and just like have a laugh. And so I guess what I did with Mother Tongue was to kind of create a space where I could bypass my inner skeptic with my kind of deep reverence, reverent goddess, but I could also like shake up my deep reverent goddess and get her to have a bit of fun. <laughs> and so I created Mother Tongue. And, and what it's done is it's created a place for women who return month after month after month to be reminded that their story is worthy. They, we see women on that stage that are so diverse from each other. And I don't just mean in the um, very obvious sense of diversity. I mean in subtle diversities as well. And uh, diversity of experience, diversity of beliefs, diversity of, of um, emotive um, reaction styles, of neurodiversity, all this stuff. But every single one of those women up there is a familiar voice to me. It's my story, like I said at the, uh, when I was talking about David Lesser's book. And I see myself in, in her and it breaks down that othering and that com- competition that we experience as women. And it also rebuilds, like I talk about this sense of self. It helps me when I see other women being themselves, I'm reminded that I can be myself. I'm given permission to be fully myself. So that's Mother Tongue. And we've been running that for seven and a half years every month. And we've run it in Melbourne. We've also taken it out to a few um, other cities. We've done it in Adelaide and uh, Castlemaine and Byron Bay. And um, 
we've also taken up to other events like writers festivals and things like that as a platform and this year we're turning into a not-for-profit as well so we're hoping to get more up running which is very exciting that's really really exciting and she really is a love project for me like it's never been a particularly um, abundant business platform for me however what it is is a lifesaver literally i've had women come to me more like more times than i can count saying that mother tongue has saved my life not just changed it saved my life um and this is the power of stories and this is the power of truth and I'm sure that, you you know, with this podcast, there will be people that would feel similar around hearing other people's stories through this podcast. It's that sense of, of, of not being alone in this journey and, and having that, 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 that hope, that reason to trust. Yes. Just, you know, in the events I've been to of yours over the years, it's definitely something that I feel really vibrate from the stage is when people share their stories about the racism they've experienced or the, you know, homophobia or you know it can be in, in anything it you can feel that speaking it even though they you know their voices may shake and it may be super terrifying and I know for myself you know I spoke this weekend at your event for the first time since I was 19 I, I think I was 20 the last time I read a poem and I kind of stopped writing when I was 25 my brother died and I just closed my writing down for until now and I wrote that piece in the audience and I was shaking but it gives it gives yeah like listening to their stories and I knew from myself that opening that voice again opening that box again would give me a freedom and emancipation that and an ability to be seen as you said and I all the women there you could see that they had such harrowing stories but that this space had given them community, connection, acceptance and love in a place in a, perhaps that they won't, they, they might only get that in that night once a month, anywhere in their lives. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, when we talk about opening up our voices and reclaiming our power and reclaiming our voice, um, we have to remember, this is why I began with talking about power, we have to remember why we're so afraid of speaking in the first place. And it's the details of that different for each of us. There's a reason for each of us why we shut down, why we closed up. Um, but our fear is valid. There's some point in our life that staying silent has kept us safe. That staying silent has been the safe option. And so it goes against all of our almost like cellular memory. It goes against our instinct to, to, to speak up when in the past it is our silence that's kept us safe. But it is actually, and I, the one I said when I was talking about like women's voices, one of the things I said uh, I, when, I, when the witch's poem came out, and I was thinking about why it was so powerful. And it's this idea, you know, in the past we were so afraid of if we spoke out, we would get burned. You know, we would get burned. Um, nowadays, if we speak up, we get burned like verbally. But really, what's happening is we're keeping our words inside and our stories inside, uh, and they're beginning to burn us from the inside out. So instead of the world trying to burn us, we're just burning ourselves. We're, we're letting, we're holding it in. And um, Maya Angelou says, uh, she, she said that there is no greater burden than uh, an untold story. I might have misquoted that slightly, but it's something along those lines. There is no, there is no burden greater than an untold story. And just the, in that, I mean, she was, she was nonverbal for many years after an abusive situation. And if there's anyone who's going to understand the 
immensely, immensely degenerative effects of not telling our stories, of not speaking out. And when I say telling our stories, I don't mean that once upon a time. I mean telling the world who you are through through the things you believe in, through the, the opinions you have, through the clothes that you wear, through where you invest your money, through all of that. This is what I call this the courageous voice, the way we use our voice to, to share our sense of self in the world. Um, and, and she would know that more than anyone, really. And, and if she's going to say that, then I believe her. Yeah, it's interesting. And I know we have to, but I listened to a talk on the weekend and it was by um, Rhea Dempsey. She's like a midwife. Oh, you were there, actually. I just remembered. But she was talking about that, those stories, those birth stories, and that they're obviously not just sharing the harrowing, you know, all the things, but talking about birth and sharing our birth stories from our grandmothers and our grandmothers' grandmothers, that is what's going to change birth. And birth has gone so, has, you know, had such, what's the word? It's become so medicalized and taken away from women and women's bodies are no longer trusted and their babies and their, the journey, the birth journey together, mother and mother and child is now so medicalized. And, you know, in America, if you're listening from the States, you know, I, and our country is just very similar and I know the UK is probably very similar a, again now that the actual outcomes for mothers and babies, like we think we have the best hospitals, the hospitals in the, in some of the best in the world, but the actual mortality, maternal mortality is higher than many, many, many other countries, even though we have the most intervention, the most greatest doctors and those birth stories are told less and less like positive birth stories empowering birth stories and and, and all the others in between but those stories like you're saying about Maya Angelou those untold stories about birth and about women's loss and shame and grief and sadness and trauma around their birth stories and disempowerment help perpetuate this medicalization and help perpetuate this disconnection and individualization and that loss of community and loss of those stories means that it just continues and continue, it's continuing and continuing to to worsen for women the outcomes for women and the trauma to women is becoming more greater and greater as we move further and further away from women and the women's stories definitely and i mean like this is goes straight back into that sense of power and not that it's like a big conspiracy where people are trying to take away from someone there's someone they're trying to take away our power but the, what happens is the more our voices get get silenced the less power we have and so um if you think about you know it's exactly the same within the, the community like you're talking about chronic illness when there was a time when no one was talking about their chronic illness there's no there's no platform for it there was no space for it people had even less power than they have now and so the more that we share, the more um, the more we share our stories, our experiences, our truth, and not just in the big ways like podcasts, but in the little moments. Someone asks you how you are, just reply honestly. These little moments, they, like if someone says to me, like you said to me at the beginning of this, but when we first started the call, you're like, how are you? I was like, oh, I'm just really tired. And in that, I'm not trying to offload everything on you. But I want to, I'm also not going to lie to you. I'm not going to be like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, how are you? Because that's a lie. And what it does is it, it um, linking back into the representation, it doesn't represent all the different facets of human existence and experience, which means that, you know, when if you're there feeling tired and I say, oh, I'm, I'm feeling fine, 
feel like, oh, I should probably just say I'm feeling fine too because if I say I'm feeling tired, then I'm the one that's putting a damper on the situation. And and we all start silencing ourselves and nicing ourselves and making ourselves all, all like yeah. contained. Yeah, it's very tricky. As I, I, I know we have to hang up, but I mean, it's very tricky because when I, for me, because I've had a recovery and I'm in remission and I feel so good, a lot of saying that you feel good in a space where someone else feels crap with like, with multiple sclerosis, that's very tricky to navigate because it feels like they're like, oh, fuck, she's great, but I'm still in the bin at home and I hate my life and I'm still miserable. It's very, For me, I find that very difficult to navigate because you don't want to say – do you want to seem insensitive and you don't want to say that they're not trying as hard as me? How are you, how are you still sick? Like I'm great and you're not try, obviously not trying as hard as me to be well. It's very tricky dance to play sometimes the op- in the opposite way. When you are genuinely good and someone is genuinely in a really fucking shit place to, to be empathetic and, and to say like, for me, I am great. Like I was really sick, put my sick first 20 eight years of my life I was pretty much just in sick and in bed and with chronic illness um, apart from you know, little early childhood part but saying because I'm so excited to be well I can be quite insensitive because I'm saying oh my god I'm so well you know listen to this this podcast amazing so well and they're like fuck you you're so well good for you you know like but actually are they are they and I think this is the thing we've got to remember that like when I'm feeling shitty and someone who I know who's been to that same shitty place as me says, I hear you. And then, they, and then I go, how are you? And they go, I'm actually really good. It gives me hope. It's that light of human hope. And obviously you're not going to turn around to them and say, well, actually, I'm so glad I'm not where you are. Oh, my God, my life <laughs> is so good right now and yours must really suck. Like, because that's just being an asshole. Yeah, but I don't like, do that, thank God. No. <laughs> But but lying about our experience and we forget and you know and if it's hard for them to hear, mm. that's also if, if somebody says something that's hard for me to hear, that's my responsibility to sit with and process. And and this is it's not just we've, we're all changing. We all have to change how we communicate and how we inquire of ourselves and how we reclaim our sense of power. And um, and there's all, we're always gonna we're always trying to like protect people from feeling bad and protect people from feeling uncomfortable. It's my right to feel bad. It's my right to feel uncomfortable. If I'm having a conversation with you and I'm not in a very good place and you say I'm in a really good place and that makes me feel sad, I have absolute right to have that feeling. And you trying to take away my right to that feeling by lying to me is a is a disservice to both of us, mm. to our honesty and to our friendship. Thank you. You're giving me a different and new perspective, which is why I love you and I'm having you on the show. Okay, so Fleecy, tell us about your programs. Some of them, you've got lots. So everyone, I've got her link to her website and all of her stuff, her Facebook page, will be in the show notes. So just click on the link that you've, wherever you've, however you found the podcast, Spotify or iTunes or Facebook or Instagram, wherever, click on the link. And you'll find all of the links to Fleecy. But just give us a bit about, I, I would love to hear about Speak Up and, and, and whatever other one you're passionate about sharing at the moment. Sure. So Speak Up was my original program that I started seven and a half years ago. And it was originally focused on spoken word. And as time's gone on, as you can tell, I have massive passion around how we show up, around how we express ourselves into the world and how that we can use that as a tool for empowerment. And, um, and our voices. And so what Speak Up became was 
um, the spoken word is a, is a vehicle to look at our sense of confidence and our sense of self and our willingness to be seen and, and take up space. But we do that through the stage and through performance. So it has this air of fun and play and it's held within this lovely container. And it is a um, seven-week course that we do in, in Melbourne in person. And we, le- we work towards a final performance. Or is it six weeks? I think it's six. It's six weeks. You're right. It's a six-week course. I just read that just then. So oh, that's why. I just did a quick little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it leads up. It leads up to the final performance night, which is just to a small selection of invited friends and family. It's not like a big concert or anything, um, and it's and it's designed to you know open up our creativity, open up our sense of writing. There's so many writing prompts in there, and it's also creating a community of people who are working on the same stuff. So a lot of people who've met each other through Speak Up over the last seven years have gained lifelong friends through people they're still friends with now, really close friends with, because they have been able to open themselves into their voice, into their vulnerability side by side. And so that's Speak Up. And then what Speak Up became as as time went on, more and more I became to realize the power of the voice for empowerment and it, I began to be more excited almost than the speak than the spoken word side of it was the kind of psychological personal growth side of it and so I developed rise rise speaker training which is the online program and that's basically looking at the same stuff it's how we show up how do we how do I reclaim my power through my voice how do I captivate an audience of people or how do I allow myself when I'm one-on-one with somebody to really speak my truth to them with authenticity? How do I ensure that I'm not like over getting, like you said, being the Labrador, like, blah, 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 you know, people or, or hiding back and shrinking away? Um, how do I come out of all of these interactions without being absolutely caked in shame? Because that's often what happens. Absolutely. And I'm definitely, I'm sure everyone listening, well, not everyone, but I'm definitely and someone who leaves my wet Labrador situations and I'm not as much, I'm more aware of it, but it's still, it's still part of my personality. Who leaves and goes home and then is just racked with social anxiety. Like, what did I say? Why? Oh my God. And then I said this, why did I, I said, I hate this name, but her dad's name's that name, you know, like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So what Rise is about, about really reclaiming that sense of self. Um, and then bringing it out into our voices. And um, we do that through, um, it's online, so there's eight weeks worth of content with videos and PDFs and stuff. But then we also have the Facebook community, and on there and through Zoom, I do eight-week rounds, with, we're live rounds, where if you want to do it with other people, you can start at week one and work your way through the eight modules. And um and we do it as a group over the eight weeks. And once you're in Rise, I think the magic of this work is I kind of got sick and tired a little bit with Speak Up of it being you come in, you do the six weeks, and you go out the other side, and I might never see them again. Or there's that air of like um, like it's supposed to be done at the end of it. But the thing is, is we're not done. Life isn't done like that. We are constantly showing up, and we're constantly changing every single day of our lives, and we have new things to confront. So... I wanted to create a community where people could keep coming back into the work. Um, and so the idea with Rise is once you're in, it's kind of a mentorship program and you're kind of in there for as long as you want to be. And every time I run a live round, you can drop back in again for free without having to go through all of the process of reapplying and all this sort of stuff. It's just there and it's there for you and you get to uh, grow with the same people 
and with new people over, over time. And, and over the last two years, I've seen people grow so much purely because they could come back and keep working on it. Yes. And as a former, well, an ongoing member of Rise, I, I really love seeing people, like even though I'm not in, I see it comes up in my feed or I check back in with the group and seeing people who started with me or started after me and seeing them making their live videos and seeing them talking about their journey and you literally watching them grow, grow in their confidence, grow in their speaking. Like it's a really, uh, it's a really a privileged space to be in when you're witnessing someone be vulnerable and learn something new alongside you and seeing their progress. Like it's a real mm-hmm. honor to witness that. And for me, it's been uh, such a learning to realize how many different places this is applicable to people. And I can have one person come in and one time they're looking at like being on stage and one time they're looking at live videos and one time they're looking at specific friendship that they're having to speak up better in. And one time they're looking at talking with their parents. And every time, like I say, it's, it's, it's a different challenge. It's a new challenge. And although it's the same kind of things we have to look at, it affects us in different ways each time that we do things. And so the beauty of it is that that, that it's it's like yoga it's a daily practice that we can show up to ourselves and it's never it's not one of these stupid i think they're stupid myself I like three three-step programs of becoming the best public speaker you can be there's nothing in life as a three-step process Mm-mm. it just isn't life yeah. doesn't life doesn't work like that yes so you can find fleecy and rise as i said all in the show notes but just you know if you want to just bypass that fleecymalay.com so f-l-e-a-s-y-m-a-l-a-y.com and you're also on mother tongues on facebook and all of those links will be in the show notes and so you, you, your, your fleecy malay will be on facebook and every instagram and yep. all those places as yep, well yep. Instagram, oh, Facebook. the youtube of witches and the poems and all those things are on youtube which i have in the show notes as well thank you so much so if i i always round off my my episodes with three top tips Um, can i tell people about my book oh yes please god tell me about your book no i meant for you to i'm so sorry please go 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 tell me about your book because i'm excited for it too please which is the poem it came out like two two years ago now and when it came out, I really wanted to write a book um, of poetry to kind of a poetry that affirms the strength of women. Um, and I, I held off for a very long time and I started doing it. And so six days ago, I launched, I've written it. And six days ago, I launched the, or not six, a week, over a week ago now, I launched the um, Kickstarter campaign for it. So people are pre-ordering copies. And within six days, we reached the target of $6,200. We're now over that target. People are still pre-ordering it, which is amazing. And so the book is called Virago, A Poetic Manifesto. And rather than just being a poetry book, the first kind of the intro really outlines why I feel like it's really important for us women to reclaim our power and our sense of strength and our voices. And not just women, but everybody. And and how our strength isn't our strength isn't defined by how manlike we are, which is the word virago means a uh, warrior woman, but being a woman who is like a man, who's strong because she's like a man. And so it's really re- reframing what it means to be strong um, in, as a woman. But I think also as people, the strength of spirit comes from our, our willingness to really own every single facet of who we are. That includes our mental health issues. That includes our sexuality. That includes our love and our heartbreak and our grief and our origins and, and our anger and our ferocity and our spirituality. And we have to be able to really um, 
yeah, own all those parts of ourselves, and that's where our sense of strength and sense of self comes from. And that's what the book is about. Virago, is that right? V? V-I-R-A-G-O. V-I-R-A-G-O. And they, where can they buy Where can they pre-order that, Felicity? On Kickstarter. On Kickstarter. So I'll put the link in the show notes to that. That would be great. Thank you so much. Was there anything? Oh, your to top three tips. Top three tips in this. I'm going to say top three tips for you can decide. Normally they're about adopting a plant-based diet, so it's not that. And I've had... I talked about another woman was about doing what matters. Like what's your top three tips for her book was, her book was called do what matters Nikki. And so we kind of try and follow with what the top three tips of like the kind of you, the expert that's on the show is right, passionate top three about tips to claim your, your courageous voice. Yes, please. Top All three right. tips for top this. Top three tips to claim your courageous voice. I love it. Go learn where your boundaries are. Really don't be afraid to learn and to explore where your boundaries are. Tip mm. one. Mm-hmm. Tip number two: Remind yourself that your voice is is worthy and needed in this world. Mm. Yes. And tip number three: Find the places that are safe to speak and share your story, and start there. Don't don't begin by dropping yourself into the most vulnerable place you could possibly share that truth. Begin where it's safe and work your way out. I think that is a really excellent third tip because you know we might just people might be thinking okay i'll just start i'm just gonna go to this kkk meeting and tell them (laughs) i'm a proud gay man (laughs) that's not the place to start start with people start in a um safe place i think that's a really 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 good way to say because we talk about community and that's i guess that's the the bracket the container that this that would go in is finding some safe community to to grow with yeah and i mean it's it's a big part of laying down boundaries and a big part of finding out who we are is realizing that there's a lot of things around us that aren't serving who we are and aren't serving our boundaries which means there's fallout which means that we lose we have to we have to shed sometimes and it can be really hard and really harsh changing doctors for example it can be stressful or ending a relationship that's really not serving you or just laying down some boundaries to a friend and they might not want to hear those boundaries, even though you love them. Um, but it is deeply, deeply important for our sense of self and our voice and our strength. So we begin where it's safe. We, we find places where it's safe to speak. And then we step into those, dis- those uncomfortable places with a sense of strength. And I think it helps in so many areas. Like this, this, this information that you're sharing, and like obviously, people, please go to mother. If you if you're in Melbourne, mother tongue. If you're in another part of the world, you know, maybe start your own little. Or contact me if you want to start a mother tongue because we're setting up the not for profits, so we can we can. Oh talk. yeah, start a mother tongue. Yes, yes, definitely. So contact Fleecy and follow her. Go to her. Watch her TED talks. Buy her poetry book, Virago. You have other poetry books too that they can purchase, yeah? I do. I have one called Sex and God because they're two of my favourite things. Oh, um, yes, and good. it's a book of devotional and erotic poetry, but it's really exploring that human longing and hunger for connection. And um, you can get that either – you can get that on my website – but you can also get it if you go on the on the Kickstarter campaign. There's an option. One of the ways, one of the rewards is that you can just basically pre- buy all of my books. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. I really think that this information is needed. And as I said to you earlier before the recording started, 
you're, you have taught me so much about so many things, but I, a lot about how to use more inclusive language when I'm talking about people other than cis people and talking about other than him and her and those kinds of, I'm excluding a lot of people in my language and I didn't realize. And I did realize and was like, oh my God, it's too hard. It's too hard basket. I don't know how to deal with it. And you really simplified that in your teachings and in Rise. And if you're someone who wants to grow in that area and learn more how to make your language, and I'm still learning, I'm not at all perfect and definitely not at all perfect, but I'm hoping to get better and I'm, I'm, I'm devoted to improving myself in those areas and your work and the end end mother tongue and the speakers that have come on the stage have really helped me to grow in those areas and I and, and to teach that to my two sons because I want them to be educated in in being more inclusive with everyone that they meet so thank you very much for that you're so welcome it's a real pleasure to hear that Thank you so much, Fleecy, for coming on the show. Thank you all so much for listening. Until now, if you stayed for the whole conversation, it was very long. Please purchase Virago. The link is in the show notes, as I said. Please join Rise and all the Speak Up programs that are also in the show notes. You will get so much out of it, honestly. I'm still getting so much out of doing the Rise program. I haven't done Speak Up, so I can't speak up for that. (laughs) But... You'll get a lot from it, I'm I'm sure. Check out Fleecy Malay. Links in the show notes on her Facebook page, all the other other pages. Watch the videos, and yeah, buy all the books and things. She's incredible, and just a, such an amazing woman doing incredibly powerful work for the community and the world. So thank you for listening. And next week there'll be someone else wonderful on the show that I hope you enjoy. Yeah, see you then. Bye. Bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier 